Good day and happy new year. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host. And as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. So take a second and think back to this time last year. We started off 2021 on Detroit Today by saying that we were glad to leave the previous year behind and that we were kind of looking forward to a better one. That was January 4th, 2021, when we began our year of broadcasts on Detroit Today, and it turned out to be just two days before the January 6th insurrection. And from there, whether or not you thought it was a better or a worse year than 2020, I think it's safe to say that we all wish 2021 could have been better. But we're optimists here at Detroit Today, perpetual optimists. And so we welcome you into a new year here on the show with the hope that 2022 will be a great one for all of us even if that hope seems harder to muster now two years into this pandemic. To start things off on a high note, I'm happy to say we've got a really great guest for the hour today, someone who helped us kick off 2021 as well. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell will be experiencing and playing a role in a lot of the big national and international stories that will unfold over the next 12 months. She joins us now to talk about what Democrats in Congress have accomplished in the past year and what they hope they can achieve as we enter a really critical election year. Debbie Dingell, Happy New Year and welcome back to the show. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to everybody that's listening this morning. Happy New Year. I uh, couldn't wait to say goodbye to 2020. And now I have to admit it, couldn't wait to say goodbye to 2021. But I think I do have a lot more hope as we go into this year than I did a year ago. We still are fighting COVID more than I like. And it's really transmissible right now. But we have more tools in our arsenal and we have a lot more knowledge. Yeah, I think it's really important to, to take note of the things that are different about starting this year and the progress that we made, especially on COVID, which, as you point out, is kind of hard to keep your mind on right now because things are getting kind of bad again and there's still a lot of virus around. But as you point out, I mean, we're, we're, we're better situated to deal with this uh, in, in ways that I think uh, make it easier for people to survive it, um, but also easier just to, to, to manage it. So, so I, I'm with you on hoping that, uh, that this year is a little better. So I, I wanna start with some big news though that happened right at the end of the year. We finally got the maps that the Citizen Redistricting Commission here in Michigan drew for the legislative uh, chambers for the House and Senate in Lansing and for Congress uh, that came that drop on uh, December 28th, just uh, three days before the end of the year. So these maps, the congressional maps, look really different than what we've seen before. I want to get your reaction to uh, the, the, the jurisdictions that now members of Congress will represent in Michigan and how they're different from what you guys have to work with right now. 
So the people of Michigan voted that they wanted to have a nonpartisan commission uh, determine what were going to be these congressional lines and not have whoever controlled the legislature uh, be the people that drew these lines. And as a member of Congress or as an elected official, we were cautioned by many that we needed to stay arm's length from the process. And the reality is at the congressional level, that's pretty much what happened. I think as you look at it, there's a lot of changes coming, a lot of upheaval. Uh, I, I think actually what's interesting is that there appears to be sort of a magic number of 65 to 70% of everybody's current district is still in another district, but many people aren't living in the district that the bulk of the people they've been representing are now drawn mm -hmm. into. Uh, there are people that are unhappy. There are people that um, think it's good. Uh, I think there are a lot of communities of interest that are concerned that they've been divided up. And I think that's true around the state, but there are others that think that that has happened. I think the area that is the most concerned is Southeast Michigan and the city of Detroit. And I do believe in representative government. I do believe that our elected representatives should reflect the diversity of our state. I suspect that there will be court challenges because of what has happened on the Voting Rights Act and the guidance that they got from lawyers that it did not have to be majority minority seats, but, um, and that they didn't have to be as packed. I'm going to, I'm dealing with what they announced last Wednesday. I believe in representation. So for me personally, uh, I am going to move from the home that's been mine for decades, mm -hmm. uh, because I do believe in representation and I do think that Detroit needs to elect somebody that they feel will represent them. And almost 70% of my district is in the new sixth district. Um, you're going to see a number of us moving and you are going to see very competitive primaries in both the democratic party and the Republican party. And there are very, very competitive uh, seats that could go either way. David yeah. Wasserman of Cook's political report has actually predicted that control of the House of Representatives could come down to what happens in Michigan. Hmm. So, so I, I want to go back to something you said in the middle of what you were, were talking about there, that you're moving uh, to represent a different district on this new map, which means, by my calculations, that this would be the first time in 88 years that Dearborn, which is your home now, has not been represented by someone whose last name uh, is Dingle. Uh, John Dingle Sr. represented uh, Dearborn. John Dingle Jr. represented uh, Dearborn. And you took over after, after John died. Um, talk about the relationship uh, between the Dingle family and Dearborn, and I guess what it means that uh, that the city will move on from that. So I want to have several comments here. We um, live in an elective representative government, and that seat is reelected every two years. So I did not take over. I was elected 
by the people of that district to serve and represent them. I'm yeah. accountable to them and I get elected every two years. This was obviously a very difficult emotional decision for me. Uh, but this district has a significant amount of Detroit in it. Brenda Lawrence Southfield is in that district and it picks up Dearborn, Dearborn Heights and Livonia. The people that I represent now down rivers, which have also been a very significant part of my life, will always be my friends. It's Trenton Rotary that I belong to, uh, West, Western Wayne, and Washtenaw Ipsy, Ipsy Township, which I have represented since being elected and have been part of, uh, who I've been very familiar with, are a very, so it's not a new district the way some might say it. It's got a different number, mm-hmm. but most of the people that I'm representing now are in this new district. Is it going to be hard to move? Yep. But you know what? The people are friends and family. They don't go anywhere. You're all there. You're there to support each other. It's not to say that this isn't difficult emotionally, but it's the right thing to do for the state of Michigan, for the people that I represent. And the fact of the matter is the bulk of the people that I currently represent are not in the district that Dearborn's in, but are in the new sixth district. Wow. And, and so when you think about that, and you were talking about communities of interest being divided up, uh, which, which happens, by the way, all the time when we do this, uh, when we when we have this process every every ten years, is just that under the old rules uh, they were divided up uh, according to political instincts because it was politicians drawing the lines. Uh, this time there are other there are other issues there are other uh, considerations that are that are driving the process. But the, overall, do you th- do you feel like these maps do a better job? I guess of. Uh, putting districts together that will represent people better, or I guess uh, with without so much politics uh, lurking in the background. I mean, it, overall, do you feel like this is an improvement over what we had before? I think the people have spoken. I think there's a new set of problems. Some of the old problems are there, the down rivers, who are very much a region, are economically and and dependent upon each other, have been divided up again three ways. Uh, They get very frustrated, have not had good, strong representation because of redistricting in the past, and they're worried. That's the area that I'm very concerned about. I always think that it's better when you can minimize the number of counties that anybody is uh, representing, and I think Oakland County, I have to make sure I'm right in this number, but I think Oakland County has five members representing Oakland County now. Hmm. Uh, so, it, you know, there are new problems, there are different problems. I, I think we all need to focus on representing the people and the districts that we're going to run, hear them, be accountable to them, and do the job that I can. I know that the city of Detroit, the African-American community are very worried. They are gonna file a lawsuit. Uh, and you've, you, everybody wants to make sure that their voices are heard, their mm-hmm. people. I know that their counties, when you go out west, that Berrien County is now divided up and they've always been together. And 
the farmers are worried about some of the divisions. I've, I've been hearing concerns and I think in the end, the commission spoke, we'll see what the courts do. We have to run accountable to the people that are in the district we're running from and making sure we are listening to them, hearing their issues and fighting for their issues. I'm talking with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat who right now represents Michigan's 12th district in Congress. Uh, we're kicking off the new year, talking about the things that we're looking forward to this year, talking about the things that we're leaving behind in 2021, or at least we hope to leave behind in 2021. Uh, we want to hear from you as well about what you're thinking about as we start a new year. Uh, give us a call at 313-577-1019 or go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there. Tell us, what do you see as the things that you would like Congress to accomplish, for instance, uh, in the next year? What are the biggest accomplishments or failures that you see that Congress had uh, in the past year? Uh, are you disappointed in the state of President Biden's a signature social spending package, Build Back Better, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Also, just give us a call and tell us what your outlook is here on January 3rd, 2022. Are you optimistic? Are you hopeful? Are you more optimistic or hopeful than you were at uh, January 3rd, 2021? Uh, what do you think about the year ahead? What are you looking forward to? What are you fretful about? Give us a sense of where you are. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, I do want to start talking a little about the work that was done last year in Congress, uh, Debbie, and, and let's start with uh, the huge infusion of money to replace lead pipes uh, through the infrastructure bill. There's also a lot of COVID money that has come to Michigan uh, because of what, what Congress did. Um, let's talk specifically, though, about the lead pipe issue and the water issues that we face here still in, in Michigan and what Congress has done to move that along. So I'm really proud of what we did in the infrastructure bill. Michigan understands what contaminated water means to the communities that it exists in. We all saw lead in pipes in Flint and what it did to the children. We're still seeing lead in too many communities in Michigan. We have PFAS contamination uh, in too many of our communities. And this is a problem that you see across the country that's got to be addressed. I was the leader uh, in the bill on this, uh, in the Energy and Commerce Committee, that got money in the infrastructure bill so that we will, it's a combination of money that's in the infrastructure bill. And then we also need to get Build Back Better so we get the rest of the money that we are gonna need to get the lead out of pipes. But for Michigan, we will get $15 billion through the Drinking Water State Revolving Fund to replace lead service lines and provide cleaner drinking water. But what matters to me even more, and I have told the governor in Eagle, I'm going to be a pain in the bazooka. I want to know how we identify where those lead lines are, 
how we're going to, what is going to be the criteria for prioritizing the replacement of those pipes, how do communities apply for the money? Is it going to that township or city? Is it going to that county? How are we going to make sure the county gets the money if it's going through the county to the city that needs it? Who is going to do the contracting? Do we have the labor available that we need to do it and we need to get it done? Hmm. Are, are you optimistic that the work that Congress did on all of this last year is sufficient to deal with uh, some of these some of these problems not just the infrastructure bill as it retains to water and lead pipes but but the other infrastructure problems that uh, that we're facing which i think have been made manifest over and over so not only are we going to address lead in pipes. But by the way, PFAS remains something that we do need to address. We've got PFAS in too much of our water. 98% of the people in this country have it in their blood, don't understand it's a risk that it has health uh, consequences. And we've been trying to get that done. And we still don't have a national drinking water standard, which the Biden administration has said that they're going to do. But we have PFAS money in here as well. We need to, to quote our governor, fix our dam roads and bridges. There is money in here that'll come into the states in two different ways by the current formula that DOT has for the state revenues and will all come also come through grants. We have not invested in this kind of our, fixing our infrastructure, the roads and the bridges for decades. We have crumbling roads. We have bridges that are ready to collapse. And there's probably not enough money to fix them all, but it's a good, strong start in investment. And again, we've got to build resiliency. I said this after we had the floods in Dearborn, if you'll recall. Stephen, everybody said, well, if we get the infrastructure money, will this fix some of this? Well, we got to be ready. That People can't just say, we want to do this. We're going to be competing with cities, municipalities, counties, and states across the country. And one of the criteria for these dollars coming in is going to be regional cooperation, which isn't always the strength of Southeast Michigan. You know, when we're having a flood, or when 94 gets flooded, the water doesn't say, oops, I'm leaving Detroit, going into Dearborn, or leaving Detroit and going into Gross Point, or wherever it is. We got to work as a region to develop plans. Now, I will say, I've uh, when the EPA administrator was here in June, he told people that I was right. Uh, and people have been working at it through the state, through SEMCOG, other, you know, Candace Miller is brilliant when it comes to water. Mm -hmm. um, I use her to teach me. A lot of people of all different backgrounds, technical expertise from different communities are working on this. And we got to make sure we're on it that we're going after those dollars. We've got the, the tools that we need to do it and go after it. And that is also one of the most important issues we as a state have to do. We can't play games in the state legislature about authorizing these dollars. We're going to lose them. We're going to go to other states. This is not a time for politics. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this New Year's conversation with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. We will also get to you guys on the phones and on social media. Anthony in Southwest Detroit, hang in there. We will get to you when we come back. If you want to join him, 
313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what your 2022 looks like from here on January 3rd. What are you anticipating? What are you optimistic about? What are you fretful about? And what are you glad to leave behind in 2021? You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Happy New Year, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Our guest this hour is Debbie Dingell. She is a Democrat from Dearborn who represents Michigan's 12th Congressional District. Uh, we're talking about the year that was 2021 and the year ahead 2022, both in terms of congressional work and achievement, but also just generally what are your expectations for 2022? Are you really looking forward to this year? Are there things that are happening this year in your life that uh, you think will make it a better year than the 12 months of 2021? Uh, or are you worried about the rise in COVID cases, for instance? Uh, what do you think about the upcoming elections? This will be a mid-year election uh, cycle here in our country, and uh, there will be lots of local elections as well. Uh, the governor of our state will stand for re-election uh, at the end of the year. Uh, what are you What are you thinking about as we get ready for all of that? <clears throat> as always, the number here on the phones is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Debbie, I want to start this part of the conversation off talking about Build Back Better. Now, Senator Joe Manchin said late last month he cannot find a way to support this really sweeping, very progressive legislation that uh, comes from President Joe Biden. Uh, do you have any hope, though, that Congress will be able to pass any version of this signature legislation? The Senate starts back this week, and they say we're going to have a vote. What's that vote going to look like? So first of all, I always have hope. Uh, I think this was a really tough, intense year. Uh, you have to look at how far we've come even while we're back fighting another surge of COVID. Remember how we were last year? We really couldn't be with our families. We were scared. People were out of work. Uh, they were trying to, it's hard to realize this now, but a year ago, people didn't have access to the vaccines. And we got uh, the American Rescue Plan through. We got shots into people's arms. We got people back to work. We got money into people's pockets. Uh, and then we did the infrastructure bill, which is, it, it fixes our roads and our bridges. And we talked about the water, but it also... Last year, we really understood how 
too many people in this country didn't have access to high-speed internet and broadband and how that is uh, such a critical issue. And we got that done. Now, I'm going to try not to take shots at the United States Senate because we pass a lot of things that we need to get done that people would agree with in both parties that the Senate needs 60 votes right now uh, to get anything done. And that becomes a challenge. Uh, I have had long talks with Joe Manchin all year. Uh, I am very worried about the auto industry, to be perfectly frank. We all know, well, just look at what's happened in Michigan this year between the floods and these high winds and the amount of damage that has been done and the need to build up resiliency. Nobody can say that climate change isn't real. And all of the auto companies are converting to electric vehicles. The UAW and the IBEW and all the unions are working on trying to make that happen. There are things we have to do to make that happen. They're in the Build Back Better bill. We've got to build those electric vehicle charging stations. We've got to make sure that we've got batteries that have the distance and people have confidence that the that the car will get them where they need to go. And we've got to upgrade our power grid uh, and make sure people know that they got can recharge their car for uh, to get where they want to go. That's all. That's one, just one issue uh, that's in the Build Back Better bill. Uh, we need to, it'll lower the health care costs. I mean, I, everybody I talk to, the cost of insulin still going up. The mothers, that the cost of the asthma drugs are going up. We have to do something about that. I can't tell you how many women want to go back to their jobs, how many employers are desperate for people to fill jobs. Childcare is a problem in this country. And I could go through this bill there, there are a lot, you know, we're all worried about inflation. And one of the things that's contributing to inflation significantly is our supply chain. And it's being located overseas and the logistics of it. And we need to bring that supply chain back to this country. Nobody knows what's in Build Back Better because it, it, it's, we're using the name Build Back Better because the parliamentary situation we have to use to get this through means everything's got it. It's called reconciliation. No one knows what that is. It's all in one bill. I know that Joe Biden and the president have talked over this weekend. He has sent, or over the whole holiday, he sent signals again that he's willing to sit down. We have to sit back down at the table. There are things that we must get done for the future of this country. And there's not, nobody's gonna pay increased taxes except billionaires and corporations. It's not gonna add money to the deficit. And we just have to keep talking. We gotta find that common ground and we've gotta get this done. So uh, yes, I have hope. So I do wanna to get to, to listeners. We get a lot of folks queued up to, to talk about all of these things, but before we do that, I, I really wanna have you talk a little about this this internal problem in the Democratic prob, uh, Party, which is represented in part by Joe Manchin, but certainly not uh, exclusively. I mean, he, he is a conservative Democrat, no question. He represents a constituency that votes conservatively, even though I think uh, there's a lot of frustration on some people's parts about why they might vote conservatively given uh, the, the enormous challenges, economic challenges that people in his state uh, face. But but uh, talk some about how how 
those of us who want to see more aggressive and progressive legislation come out of this administration, how do you sell that? I mean, it's a democracy. We don't have the choice of just imposing what we might believe is the, the, the right thing or the right agenda on the rest of the population. People like Joe Manchin, uh, people like uh, Kristen Sinema from uh, Arizona, uh, and their constituents have to be convinced that these are the right things and that it's it's worth their while to vote for them. What are we doing wrong, I guess, is the, is the first question, given that uh, Democrats won the elections in 2020 quite handily uh, and should be able to enact uh, their, their, their agenda. Uh, where is that going off the rails? But, but also, what is, the, what is the lever to pull to get to the place where, for instance, uh, you know, a Democrat in the White House and uh, both the Senate and House and Democratic control mean more in terms of progressive legislation? So first of all, can I say something? Can we lose labels? You know, progressive just instantly loses. I can't tell you how many people in this country because it has a connotation that it, I don't think is even fair for it at all times. It, is it progressive to think that everybody in this country, if they're sick, should be able to go to the doctor when they need to go to the doctor and afford their medicine? Or is that just an American dream and an American value that you see in countries around the world. And I think we use these labels and we let these labels drive too much of the discussion. Does everybody, I don't care who you are, want to pay less for their medicine and be able to afford it? I mean, I was talking to somebody last night whose bill for their, they have a heart issue and they've got to take, I won't give you the name of the drug, I'd get in company, but trouble, but it was $400 and they can't afford it. That's what we're trying to do. So we probably need to talk about the issues less. I mean, the issues more and use titles or labels less. Let's start there. I know that I have met with so many businesses that are desperate to find people to fill those jobs. And I know so many parents, both, I mean, a lot of women, but men too, who are desperate for childcare in this country and that they can afford. And everybody wants that. Employers are thinking out of the box. Why can't we talk about childcare without it being labeled progressive? And I'll give you an example of something I'm doing right now. I'll, I'll give you two examples. Uh, I did not sign on to the Green New Deal two years ago because labor wasn't at the table. Got built some tough skin in me but because I was getting protested wherever I went. But I've made a promise that I would sit down with the environmentalists, the autos, the auto workers, labor, and talk about where we went. And we did. And we never went near the hill, by the way. Uh, we had a, a, at the White House in August, everybody had come together and set a target that they all agreed upon. And we didn't have any of the drama that you've seen uh, play out in both the infrastructure bill and Build Back Better. Now, Joe Manchin says to me, and it's a valid point, that as we build batteries, right now we're 80% dependent upon China and we cannot increase our dependency on China. He's dead right. But I said, Joe, we're gonna make it so that the environmentalists will help us get those permits and that we can find what we need in this country. And just like I did, I'm bringing the autos together with the environment, the auto workers, quite frankly, it was the workers and the environmentalists. I went to 
Jared Huffman, who's one of my colleagues from California, very close in all this stuff, and said, I need you to convene a table with me. And I've gone to all the unions. I've got a number of unions and the environmentalists and say, you want to go to EVs? we got to build them here in the U.S. And we're going to figure out how we're going to do it together. I don't put a label on that. I see something that needs to be done. I figure out how we can figure out what we got to do to get it done. We'll develop a plan and then we'll try to get it done to execute it. So, so it, it also strikes me that Republicans are much better at this kind of thing than Democrats are. When they have control of the White House and both houses of Congress, they're able to get all kinds of really conservative legislation passed and maybe we drop the legal labels there too and say it's just it's just uh common sense to to, to people who uh, don't share a progressive view of of, of the world uh, however you want to describe it there is this problem that democrats seem to have that republicans don't and so then the question is what are republicans doing i guess that democrats are not doing in the Republican Party, for instance, someone like Joe Manchin, who's doing what he's doing, probably would be would be punished to some degree, or, or he wouldn't do it in the first place for fear of the consequences. Does it work that way in the Democratic Party? Should it? So again, I can have about ten different thoughts. You know, first of all, going back to the fact that EPA was established under Richard Nixon, yes. the Endangered Species Act was enacted under Richard Nixon, clean water, a lot of things. So, but we have very small majorities. The Senate is 50-50. We have a four or five person majority in the House. And Republicans have had situations where people have changed parties and they've lost the leadership. That's a reality that we have to deal with. I would say to my colleagues, I say this to my colleagues when I'm in meetings, we need to remember we're one team. We need to sit at the table. But I'm going to tell you, Republicans are having their own set of problems right now. Uh, I think there are many that are uncomfortable with how extreme some of their members are becoming. And I think all of us have to not tolerate some of the outrageousness that you see from many people. And I don't like this hate, fear, and division that we're seeing at all. But we got to figure out how we're going to work together because we've made promises to the American people we have a moral obligation to deliver on. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. And I promise when we come back, we're going to get to listeners, phone calls, and social media comments. Uh, Anthony in Southwest Detroit, Kent in California, Anko in Royal Oak, Tim in Detroit, you will be up first if you want to join them. 313. 313- 577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in.
Our guest this hour is Debbie Dingle, a Democrat from Dearborn who represents Michigan's 12th district. We're talking about the year behind us, 2021, and the year ahead, 2022. How optimistic are you that this 12 months will be better than the past 12 months? Uh, call and tell us, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter comments there and uh, we'll work you into the conversation let's start today with anthony in southwest detroit anthony what's on your mind hi well happy new year steven and representative dingle and yeah just i've I've been a constituent of yours congresswoman and now congresswoman lawrence and now after this redistricting it looks like i'll probably be represented by representative to if that happens so yeah it's just a crazy whirlwind but I was a critic of the way that redistricting commission treated downriver, especially in that map specifically, but that's another hmm. story. My, my question, you know, I agree with the, what the representative said before the break about how the labels are kind of failing us. And, you know, I, I'd include the label progressive in there because, you know, I know we have a progressive caucus in Congress, but half, probably half of them, if not more, voted for the, you know, defense budget, which is so ridiculously overbloated. So how progressive is that? Our labels are kind of failing us. And on that note, you know, I, I, I there's a Newsweek article from April of last year. Uh, Representative Dingles quoted as saying she's done with universal health care baby steps, quote, baby steps, calls for a single payer system. And I'm kind of pessimistic about our prospects for that, because if not in a pandemic, when? I mean, our former Speaker of the House, our current Speaker of the House used to support this in 1994 it's in the michigan democratic party platform and not even both of our senators support it so i'm kind of wondering about it that yeah great question anthony thanks very much for the call and happy new year to you as well uh debbie talk about the prospects for universal health care you're a longtime proponent of the idea of uh, some sort of universal approach single payer or something like that are we anywhere near the, the, the possibility of that becoming reality. So Anthony, I uh, share your, thank you for the question, and I share your frustration. But, I, and I am tired of uh, leaders then taking these baby steps and settling, but you can't give up and you gotta keep pushing. Here is the reality. We got social security, and by the way, no, can you imagine anybody not living with social security now when, it was widely condemned at the time that it passed and the co Congress got a conscience because so many seniors were living on the street or dying and didn't have anything. And universal health care was first introduced in 1940. And it took to 1965 to get Medicare. After Medicare passed, we got CHIPS, uh, which is the Children's Health Insurance Program. We got the Affordable Care Act, which is helping but and more people have access to health care. And if we get the Build Back Better uh, Act, uh, health, the Affordable Care Act will be expanded in red states there. It has not been expanded in, say, in the way that it has been done in Michigan. Uh, life sometimes requires compromise. I was not happy about this. I felt like you do, that this was the time that we should have pushed. But quite frankly, even Bernie wasn't pushing and uh, for this. I've had long conversations with him. And by the way, I probably shouldn't even use his name because then that 
gets this immediately labeled. We really are the only industrialized nation in the world that if people get sick in their country, they don't know whether they can go to the doctor or, or afford their medicine. So I'm not going to stop. We're not going to give up. You would think that the pandemic, I think the pandemic shined a light on how broken and fractured our healthcare system is. Uh, but I'm going to keep fighting that if you're sick, you can go to a doctor and I'm going to keep fighting to lower the cost of prescription drugs so people can afford them, that mothers won't come to a town hall and show me an asthma inhaler that cost $800 a month and they're living below the poverty line. And we can't give up, Anthony. Change comes by people not giving up and keeping fighting and talking and building the coalition that will get it done ultimately. Yeah. Again, Anthony, thanks very much for the call and the really great question. Also, a note, we are going to talk more about redistricting tomorrow. And my guess is that we will be talking about it for a long time. We're going to have a lot of space on the show, especially here in the early months as the maps get challenged and uh, some of the things, the kinks in them get probably worked out, maybe. Um, we're going to have a lot of opportunity here on Detroit Today to to think and talk about what's been done here together. So uh, you're going to want to stay tuned uh, to those shows. Anthony, again, thanks very much for the call and the question. Let's go now to Anka in Royal Oak. Anka, welcome to the show. Well, hello, Stephen, and I'm happy to be back in Detroit after a seven-month absence down in the hellhole of Miami, Fort, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood, the, the Trump land full of drugs and alcohol and selfish patriarchy and misogyny. I'm really excited. I came back to Detroit and I saw change. Um, and I know it happened in a short time because we didn't really open up. But, the, you know, it, it's beautiful. A lot of things have changed. A lot of, a lot of movements have been made. Um, a lot of success. Um, I'm wondering who that movement's benefiting. You know, uh, Debbie and, and other people are calling this the year of the worker, uh, but uh, we've got unions at 10.8%. 20 years ago, they were 135 mm -hmm. I'm wondering how we can call that the year of the worker. You know, Iceland has, you know that Iceland has 94% of its workforce unionized, and mm -hmm. they have like a real satisfaction with living. I see our problem here in this country, um, it's it's the males. It's these Trumpian males, you know. Um, they have the lockdown on our and are destroying our liberty, our economy, and our environment. Yeah. Anka, and, I, I I really appreciate the call and the and the thoughts. I want to give uh, Debbie Dingle a chance to to respond. I, so, Anka, welcome home. It's um, great that you're back. Uh, Florida is an interesting state. Uh, when I call it the year of the worker, I'm talking about every man and woman and child that works. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of teenagers that um, are working too, and I think that's good, but we want to make sure they're being paid a decent wage and are working in safe worker conditions. I am a strong supporter of unions, and unions are having to fight back. People, we have this anti-union movement, even among union workers themselves, who don't understand how strong they are when people come together. People don't understand or remember or appreciate what unions have gotten all of us. The 40-hour work week was negotiated for all of us by a union. The holidays, the vacations, the safe working place, the retirement plans, 
although many people are losing them, which is probably reflective of the fact that union membership is going down. Companies are taking, and look, some of our Michigan companies are guilty of it, are locating their new plants in southern states, which have not traditionally supported unions. And I want people to think about when you're worried about the classroom and what the teacher to ratio, uh, teacher to student ratio is, or if you're in the hospital and what that nurse to patient ratio is. I had a uh, perforated ulcer this year from Motrin, not from um, Diet Coke, but um, and the, when it, the, that nurse, I was the healthiest person she was taking care of, had a 10 to 1 ratio. You can't take care of people like that. So we have to fight for the worker. We have to make sure the worker's voice is being heard. And people like you also have to help people understand the benefits of what the union has fought to earn for them. But when we fight for workers, we're fighting for all workers. And that is, and I'm, I don't mean the billionaires, I'm talking about the men and women that are the glue that keep us together every single day in so many different ways. Again, Anka, thank you very much for the call and the really provocative question and comments. Uh, Debbie, I would be remiss uh, to have you here all hour and not get into the upcoming anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, but let's start it here. A listener on Twitter says that their fear is how we can continue to protect our elections. They're worried that the Republicans will continue to deny that uh, the January 6th outbreak in Washington was an insurrection. Republicans hope to appoint election officials who will have no problem overturning election results. What safeguards do we have left if this occurs? Great, great question to, to begin a look back at what happened uh, almost a year ago. It is a great question, and it is a subject that disturbs me deeply. I, I do want to say to people, I was there. I was on the floor of the house when it happened. And here is the reality. People came to the Capitol that day with the intent to kill. And that is frightening. What is also more as frightening to me is the fact that we have people across the country trying to undermine people's confidence in the outcomes of their elections. The biggest strength of our democracy is your ability to vote and know when you cast that vote, it is the process is full of integrity and that the votes will be counted accurately and the outcome determines who is going to run our democracy for the next two to four years. That The vote we have is the fundamental foundation of our democracy. And people are trying to undermine people's confidence in that. You need to worry about that. And then we have a movement to make it hard for people to vote. And it includes targeting people of different ethnic backgrounds, African-Americans, but it also, in Michigan, we have had seniors who have voted, or people with disabilities, who have voted absentee, They've established it in a credible way. They're on that list. They've shown their ID. They, people know exactly who they are. Who they're now trying to, it has not passed, 
but they are trying to say your vote as an absentee voter won't count unless you go into the clerk's office and show your ID. They are trying to make it harder for people to vote. We want democracy thrives when we maximize participation, when we encourage the maximum number of people participating in our democracy by voting. Now, we need to fight it at the state level. We need to fight for that at the state level, and we need to fight for it at the national level. So I urge everyone to pay attention about what has been happening at the state legislature and to pay attention to the exact details of what is being proposed. And at the national level, we need to get the Voting Rights Act through. Absolutely. I I was going to say, I mean, that, that, that really is... The legislative linchpin to all of this is not just renewing the, the, the Voting Rights Act, but maybe enhancing it in, in ways that would push back against this pushback against the expansion of um, uh, voting among black and brown uh, people. That was what triggered all of this. That's what triggered January 6th was the election results in 2020 uh, and the, the, the massive turnout among uh, people of color. That is correct. And, you know, we've passed several bills through the House that are not being considered by the Senate. Now, I believe Senator Schumer is going to make announcements this week. It is his intent to try to move these bills, but it forces us to deal with the question of the filibuster. And I'm somebody who believes in rituals and traditions, and I think our Constitution was a great document and has kept us as a strong democracy until now. I worry about our democracy. I don't think it's anything that any of us can take for granted, but I think the time has come to look at whether we need to change that because we are not moving bills. And the fact of the matter is, is that the Senate is no longer, it's supposed to be the cooling off body, but there are six or seven states that have so much more power than the rest of everybody else that represents the population. And I think it's really time that we've got to take a long, thoughtful look about the relevancy of the filibuster or when there are moments that we need to be able to pass legislation that cannot be blocked by a filibuster. Yeah. Okay, Debbie Dingell, I'm hopeful that uh, this year is fruitful and productive for you and for all of us. I hope it's better than it was in 2021, but uh, it's always great to kick the year off with a really deep conversation with you about all these issues. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. And I need everybody to care about our democracy, care about this fear and the division we're seeing in our communities. We are strong, united we stand, divided we fall. That's my wish for 2022. Okay, that's gonna do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we're gonna take a look at these new congressional and legislative district maps in Michigan. We'll talk about what they look like, the political implications, and the likely lawsuits that are coming. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.